you know sometimes cancers you know so to speak so so um you know melanoma for example can a, a melanoma type a lesion on the skin can actually be an infection and with this test you can actually distinguish whether it is cancer or it is something else welcome to the metagenics clinical podcast where natural healthcare practitioners can hear innovative, cutting-edge information from leading experts from around the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Metagenics Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rose, and back with me by popular demand today is Associate Professor Karen Reid. Welcome back, Karen. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for joining me again. We had a great download numbers on your pathogen test podcast and we touched upon the circulating tumor cell test so today we're coming back to explore put it pardon the pun put ctcs under the microscope and see the the clinical utility and what research um, broadly has been broadly has been done but also what you've published recently mm-hmm. so um first of all circulated tumor circulating tumor cells um what are they Yeah, that's a very good question, isn't it? Uh, So in a sense, if you have some sort of abnormal growth anywhere in the body, uh, the uh, tumor will shed some cells which have certain features which are abnormal compared to normal uh, immune cells and normal, um, you know, epithelial cells. And we can actually, when when we look at under the microscope, we can actually see the differences and the technique our CDC test is using the cytology based technique is a you know a hundred year old technique of detecting abnormal cells and we use the same criteria they use in oncology hospitals when they look at you know tissue to see um, whether it's malignant or benign and when you when you look at the tissue or the cells in the tissue you can see certain um, features. So, for example, circulating tumor cells as well as tumor cells in tissues are uh, always, you know, quite a larger size than normal cells. They have abnormal shapes, so they don't necessarily are nice and round. They have, you know, more nucleotide to chromatid um, ratio. They can conglomerate to clusters, and um, this, th- these are all features for us to um, understand whether or not uh, this is you know an abnormal cell or not. And there's a variety of shades. So the CDCs themselves are um, circulating in the bloodstream. So basically, you could look at blood as, as another form of tissue. You're looking at whether there are any of these abnormal cells. And when we look under the microscope, um, you know, after the blood has been filtered, um, so we get rid of the red blood cells, which are usually quite abundant. And so you can't just see, you know, if you prick your finger and you look under the microscope, you wouldn't see anything um, else than those red blood cells. So we get rid of those uh, in a filtration process. And then on a filter, there will be left those abnormal cells as well as you know, a bunch of um, immune cells, as well as, you know, potential other rare cells. And what we talked about in the, the podcast last time, pathogens so we can potentially see some fungal elements or some bacteria or 
any any other things. But the CDCs are um, usually uh, quite um, prominent because once we filtered it, we will stain the filter with certain dyes, which then highlight the DNA in those CTCs. And so they, they really stand out um, because you have a lot of activity in, uh, in cancer cells. So the chromatin in those cancer cells taking on the dye. And um, so when you look at uh, uh, under the microscope, those cells really pop up because they are right. so prominent and, um, you know, you, you can really easily see them. Right. So just to summarize, you, you can easily, with a, a trained eye, discern um, these obvious abnormalities in the cell by their size or shape and clusters. And then also additionally, because of like the cell division, the the DNA replication, there's that high activity. They, they hold the, the dye more readily and they pop out visually as well. Yes. So, so that, that's one of the features um, of, you know, cancer cells. And the combination of those will give us the answer whether we are looking at a CDC, so a circulating tumor cell, or if we're looking at a normal immune cell, a nucleoside, a nucleot, um, uh, <laughs> neutrophil, sorry, neutrophil, yeah. um, eosinophil, or you know, monocyte, and uh, we also can see different shades of the abnormality. So sometimes. A cancer cell, um, you know, or say from from a normal cell to develop into a cancer cell, there is a gradual process. And uh, so, if not all the features are present, then we often call it a CTC-like cell or an atypical right. cell. And you can actually see a bit of a, the, a process there happening. But if we call something a CTC, it would have had all the features required. Uh, to call it um, a malignant cell. And the test has been developed in France about 20 years ago um, and has been validated now all over the globe uh, with, uh, with other research groups and, uh, and also other uh, testing that we really indeed uh, can see whether we are dealing with a malignant cell or a benign cell. So some genetic testing has been done on it, um, so you can isolate those cells with a laser technique and then do genetics on it, seeing whether you have a malignant cell or not. So in terms of the validity and of the test, it's been shown in more than 80 peer-reviewed papers that this um, test indeed can accurately distinguish between cancer cells and um normal cells or abnormal cells which are on the way to become potential cancer cells okay and so um i should take a step back what what sort of context the practitioners um doing this test they've got a patient at risk or they've been diagnosed with cancer or sometimes it's just a um serendipitous if you want to call that discovery when you're looking at a pathogen what sort of yeah um, patient population are, are looking at these tests yes so that's a good question because um, this test is really quite useful for for both uh, types of population so it can be used as a screening test and we'll talk a bit later about our latest 
um, new screening yeah. on prostate cancer. Um, so it can be used for that, and it can also be used for treatment effectiveness uh, to monitor that in patients with diagnosed cancer. So basically, if someone has had cancer and has had some treatment, and you look at the CDC count before and after, you can kind of, you know, deduct from that whether or not the treatment is successful. It's also quite important if somebody has been diagnosed with for, uh, with cancer to actually monitor them on a regular basis over a long period of time. Because as we all know, if somebody has had cancer, it's not necessarily, you know, not present anymore because of, you know, those potential, uh, so after treatment, because of those potential circling tumor cells, because of, you know, remnants of the reason why the cancer was there in the first place. And so it's really important if somebody has been diagnosed with cancer to have a regular checkup. And depending on the count we find, we usually give some indication on, uh, you know, how often the test should be done. So if you hardly find any, then you don't have to test every six months. Uh, it would be okay every year. But if you find quite a lot, then it's better to do some uh, some t some treatments and 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 observe whether this treatment is working. Um, so so we've got a bit of a guide uh, from yeah. the experience we have as well. We've done more than two thousand three hundred tests to date, so since two thousand fifteen, and uh, it gives us a bit of an idea um, what the numbers if we find a CDC count what that actually means for, you know, long-term, uh, uh, longer-term, um, you know, maintenance or monitoring and, and recurrence yeah. and things like that. I mean, I might have to say, though, um, when we do this test, it's really important to understand that this test is a point in time. So you're doing the test on that day and under those circumstances, that's the number of CDCs we find. And it does give a little bit of an idea, you know, what this general status is, but it doesn't mean that the status can't change, you know, in a short period of time because of circumstances. Say, for example, if somebody is very, very stressed or the environment in, you know, in terms of diet and, 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 and other things um, might influence, you know, regrowth. And so it is, you know, possible that you have a low count on one day and then a month later, this count is a lot higher. So one has to be a vigilant, you know, with monitoring potential cancer activity and be aware that the, the cancer cell count can change. So it's not you know, oh, you've got zero or you've got, uh, you know, less than 10 CDCs per milliliter. So, uh, or it's less than one, sorry. So less than one CDC per milliliter. So therefore, you know, there won't be anything happening in the next year. So that that's a little bit too, you know, um, psychic, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think um, it's really important to understand because we've had lots of questions regarding this. It is a screening test. It is a test you do in a particular point in time and it can give you some guidance 
but it it's not a guarantee that things won't change. Sure, and that can be for the better or for the worse as well, looking at prognosis, exactly. which we'll get to. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so just before we get into the, the details, so you're literally uh, uh, registering and counting these abnormal cells and you're giving it as a sort of a, a ratio per mil um, and what's the, what's the sort of ranges that you typically find or for in good health and, you know, cancer? Yeah, so at the moment our guide is, you know, based on what we've observed in clinic and we usually say um, if we find less than one CDC per milliliter, we call that very mild a malignant risk or probability of detecting a cancer if you did a diagnostic test. Um, if it is between one and three, we call it mild probability. If it's between three and 20, we call it moderate. And if it's greater than 20, it's high. So obviously the three to 20 is a very, very broad category. And the closer it is to three, the closer it is you know, to the lower cases, the less you know, likely it is that you would find a tumor on a scan. Obviously, if you go towards more than 20, then it becomes more and more likely. So it is uh, potentially guaranteed, you know, if you see more than 20 CDCs per milliliter, that you would find something on a scan if you were, you know, to have done this test as a screening test. Um, so, so basically the numbers give a bit of a guide what to do next. So if somebody has, you know, very low count, if it's more, if, if it's less than one CDC per milliliter, one should A, not panic because stress does cause potentially, you know, a higher uh, a rise in the CDC count because, in a, in a sense, the immune system is really important to get rid of the um, circulating tumor cells. And if you're stressed, your immune system is not going to function very well. So, so it's really important if we have a very low count that we're not going to panic and, and say, oh, we have to have scans all over the body and we can't find anything. And then the more we stress, we might find something. So we usually um, advise, you know, on looking for potential reasons for this and trying to eliminate those. So whether it is any environmental um, factors or any, you know, emotional factors or anything like that, also looking at diet, obviously. And there's many, many things, um, anti-carcinogenic uh, supplements and so, which can help, you know, to get your immune system back on track. And so that's, a, that's the first step one would do if you find a low count. So if you find a high count, then obviously you should really incorporate into your further testing, some sort of scanning and, you know, other tests, um, potentially looking at family history. So if um, somebody has a family history of, of cancer, uh, it is, you know, more likely that there might be some environmental factors or genetic factors which can contribute to potential uh, cancer um, development and and so we might then look more specifically in those areas you know if it's breast cancer for example you know you would do some scans around that area and if you don't find anything and you have a high count then you might extend that um, search for you know potential source so that that's you know it's there's there is no uh 
you know, um, what can you say? The, um, you know, no particular number, you know, say, oh, sure, you know, it's you a spectrum, yeah, or you don't, it depends also so much on, you know, the, the scanning sensitivity. So, for example, with prostate cancer, the PSMA PET scan is very, very sensitive, and you can find tumors of 2.4 millimeters and lower, so wow, um, and, and higher, sorry, and yeah, yeah, so 2.5 and above. And um, so that means that it's more likely that you might detect something even with a lower count of CDCs. But if you go into a different area, um, whether it's breast cancer or it's any other type of, of um, you know, um, solid tumor, um, yeah. you might need a bigger, bigger mass right. to be able to do okay. that. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's not like there's this homogenous um, threshold that a tumor gets to certain size and that's when the the cells start um, breaking off and entering the circulation it seems to be cancer specific yes. and detectability as well you know from the scans i mean yes it's really really minute you won't be able to see it on a visual scan on an imaging scan um but it doesn't mean if you have cdc it's, uh, floating around in your blood that there is nothing i mean it they come from somewhere it yeah, might yeah. be so small that you can't find it. So we have to take, even if we find one cell, we have to take that seriously. But, you know, I mean, there is a bit of a, um, you know, a, a judgmental issue. You know, I mean, you can't say, oh, you've got cancer and therefore, you know, um, it's it's a very bad result. Um, we, we need to look at, well, how much does what we're doing next influence you know the the potential um, reduction and count of CDCs, and we have had great results with uh, integrative therapies, and um, and and also, I mean, the mind plays a big role. You know, I mean, if you if you're stressed and if you're worrying a lot, then the immune system is compromised and therefore can't work as well. So it's important to rather have a positive you know, approach to it rather than saying, well, we found one cancer cell in 10 milliliters of blood. So therefore, you know, everything is, is, is bad from now on. So that, that would be mm. the wrong approach. Yeah. You have to be very sensitive, delicate there. I mean, cancer is the number one feared condition mm -hmm. until you to um, in the elderly, then it's Alzheimer's. So it's got all these understandable, all these connotations. And obviously, yeah, yeah, it's not diagnostic, but it's looking at a spectrum, I suppose, and the, the, um, your physiology. Just one question um, out of curiosity. So above 20 is high. How high have you seen, like 20 to what? What have you seen as the, like a, some of the really higher levels? Yeah, yeah, we did have, um, you know, 250 per right. 10 milliliters, which is... Well, we report on milliliter and we have 10 milliliters of blood. Um, we investigate and it might be quite important to, to say that the 10 milliliters is kind of quite important because if you only take one milliliter or three milliliters like some other CTC tests do, then you have a lesser probability of finding something. So, so we Correct. usually um, use 10 milliliters of blood. And uh, we have seen 250, 310, which then translate, translates to 20 to 
uh, or 25 to 30 per okay. meter. So yeah. we have seen this, but usually this is in really, you know, uh, advanced cancers. So usually those um, patients have been diagnosed with cancer. So it's it, these numbers are not necessarily seen in someone we screen. So screening yeah. perhaps 15 per um, milliliter is, is probably alarming. So maximum. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, and you touched on another area which I'm curious about. I've got a poor understanding. It seems like there's iterations of this CTC. Some are looking at markers and um, yours don't. And you just mentioned like the amount of blood taken. So what are some of the, the nuances and um, considerations from a, a research and a methodological perspective? Um, and why'd you land at your test? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, what, what you're asking about is the there's different CTCs, CTC tests around. And um, the beauty of the ISAT CDC test is that you're actually looking at the cells under the microscope physiologically. So you basically, you can see them directly and you, you know from, you know, the 100-year-old cytology methodology, what you're looking at is actually really um, solid, solidly validated. The problem with marker-based tests, which most of the other CDC tests are, is that markers or, say, proteins on the surface of cancer cells can be, on the one side, not necessarily on all cancer cells, and those markers can also be on immune cells. So so you, you have the uh, potential problem of false positives and false negatives. Say, for example, um, blood type cancers, which we can see with the cytology-based test, don't have the classic EPCAM markers, which are used by some of the CDC, um, other CDC tests. And so you wouldn't see any, um, you know, cancer cells with, with that technology, because basically what the marker-based technology does, it highlights those markers, with a particular fluorescent dye or something, and then you look at um, whether there is anything around and what the number is. And obviously, each cell might have more than one marker, so you will have a much higher number as well. So the numbers are not directly comparable um, when you look at marker-based testing um, compared to the cytology-based testing, so the ICID cdc test. So the problem is that not all cancer cells have those markers you're testing for. So right. that's a false negative. And cancer cells can also lose those markers. And especially in the end stage of mm. cancer or more aggressive cancers, they that that that's basically the feature of those, um, that they change all the time. So they will, you know, lose those markers. So it is quite dangerous to say, well, you don't have any CDCs when actually those those really aggressive cancer cells have just lost that particular marker which you tested for. Whereas when we look at under the microscope, we can see the changes basically happening in those cells. So all those cells we find in you know one blood sample, they are they never look the same. So that's one of the features of of the cancer cells that they all have different shapes and size. So you, you can basically see 
the um, you know development of the the malignancy in front of your eyes. And wow. with marker-based tests, you don't have that. You you can't see whether that that um, you know cell has lost the marker or has changed in any other way. So that's a problem. But then you also have a problem with false positives because those markers can also be on immune cells. And um, so, I mean, that's, that's one of the features yeah. of the body, you know. I mean, if you want to get rid of something, you have to kind of flag it a bit for the immune system and for, you know, other cells which help, you know, macrophages and, and so on to, to mop them up. And so um, when you have an inflammatory condition, then those markers pop up as well. So we have, you know, had many uh, cases where we compared, you know, our results with marker-based testing. And if somebody has prostatitis, for example, or some other inflammatory uh, condition, you won't find any CTCs with the ISAT basic basic based test, but uh, you you find marker cells or cell markers uh, with the marker based tests, which just means that there is a you know an inflammatory reaction there, and you can't distinguish that just by looking at the number of fluorescence you know uh, on, on the computer screen so right. so that that that's one really big problem with marker based tests and uh, compared to the um you know cytology based tests that you are the marker based testing you you you're basically using an indirect test that you deduct some sort of information from your results and if you're lucky it actually is what you're looking for, but unfortunately, there is quite a lot of you know gray area there, um, where you can get false negatives and false positives, and that's really not ideal because I mean, cancer is not something you you wanna you know <laughs> be to come into light. So yeah, you're true. Certain certain um. Breast cancers, for example, they they are known for um, you know changing and and having no markers. I mean, we all know about the triple negative, for example, and um, so they don't have the ER and the HER two and the um, PR markers. And uh, so, if you were to use them to identify those cells, you wouldn't find them. But if you look under the microscope, you clearly see that these are cancer cells. So it's a, it's a that that's a very big, um, you know, plus for the cytology based test. Yeah, and just on something you touched upon there, um, it's probably the the stereotype I have in my mind, where classically they describe that the tumor is you know almost encapsulated inside whatever organ or compartment, and it's only near end stages it breaks through and streams out and causes metastases um but my understanding here with the ctc that a, a ctc or some in the blood does not correlate or mean that the, there's an, a huge aggressive tumor that's metastasized so um, that's the first part and the second part is you can distinguish between metastases and not through your method yes so that's uh, also a very good question because what 
the cytology-based method is allowing us to do is to distinguish between single CDCs and CDC clusters. And we know that CDC clusters, so that means there are multiple CDCs together, um, that they have more metastasizing potential than single CDCs. So basically, by looking at the type of CDC you find, you can predict somewhat, you know, what the metastasizing potential is. So in terms of, you know, how those CDCs get into the bloodstream and, I mean, you said encapsulated and then it will shed CDCs. It's, it's actually, um, uh, you know, theorized that it doesn't matter what, you know, um, stage the tumor is in, it can always shed um, circulating tumor cells. So, but that doesn't necessarily mean it is, you know, metastasizing. It just has different stages of potential to potentially latch on somewhere else. So, so a localized tumor will also shed circulating tumor cells. So it, it's, it's, a, it's not metastasizing, but it's still shedding circulating Yeah, tumors. sure. And I presume that our immune system also is, by and large, typically effective at mopping, at detecting and mopping up these CTCs. I mean, again, as you pointed out, it's not ideal to have any, but say you've got a low number that um, maybe it comes down to the, the sort of communication when delivering the report. There is obviously the potential that the, a healthy immune system can detect and eliminate these CTCs as well. Exactly. So, so basically, um, usually if your immune system is really well, you you won't detect CDCs in your bloodstream, uh, you know, because all the time things will you know change. Um, that's just the nature of things. And if you got a good immune system, then it will pop up and get rid of those rogue cells in a very timely manner. And so we have many many patients, you know, come in for screening where we don't find any CDCs. So it, it, it does, you know, it is possible. It's not that everybody has CDCs in 10 right. liters of blood. I mean, it's, it's again, you know, I mean, it's a proportion. So, I mean, we, we don't look at the five liters of blood, you know, in the human mm -hmm. being. So we just take a proportion out. Um, and so if we don't find any in the 10 milliliters, doesn't mean that there might not be one in the five liters, right? So, um, so it's a proportional thing. And um, if you have a low count of CDCs and your immune system is a bit down, there's a very good chance if you help your immune system to get back on track, you know, whether it is because of stress or environment, environmental factors or infection or inflammation, um, you, you can help your immune system to uh, get rid of any cells which shouldn't be there. And I mean, talking about infections, um, I mean, whether we see the pathogens in the blood or if it is, you know, in any other part of the body where, when you have an infection, um, that, that will compromise your immune system to be um, able to uh, get rid of any rogue cells. And so often if somebody has chronic inflammation or chronic infection, uh, we also usually see um, a number of CDCs. So it goes hand in hand. And if we right. have someone with a lot of pathogens in the blood, 
then and 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 a lower number of CDCs, then uh, usually the um, the advice is to look at getting rid of the infection, getting rid of the source of the infection, helping the immune system, and then when we do another test to see how effective the treatment was, usually the number of CDCs also goes down. So it just it just means that when you when your immune system is compromised, you have an conducive environment to produce potential malignant cells which could develop into a cancer if you don't do anything about um, you know this toxic yeah. um, background. Uh, so how do practitioners go about delivering this news? Do you guys give any sort of advice? And because, like, again, people can understandably be alarmed at the word tumour. Um, so how do they take the mm -hmm. idea of, hey, that might look after itself once we clear these infections? Is there some sort of, uh, you know, need to, to be obviously very delicate and careful on how this is framed up and worded and, oh, and delivered back to the patient definitely yes so so I mean, we've got some guidelines um from you know the the, the experiences we have had and uh, i mean the numbers we talked about before you know the zero point is less than one and zero to three and three to twenty and so on cdc's per milliliter so uh, we we got some guides to say, okay, you know, if you find that number, we call that mild probability. So the first steps to do is to look after the immune system and um, our our doctors um, and and anyone who does refer to the test. I mean, they they are getting some material and some insights and help from us to understand what it all means, and they are. They they are advised, you know, to 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 basically um, package it in a way that the that the patient can, you know, uh, take some action. Um, so because in the end, um, it's all about you know how what does the patient do with the information. Yeah. Um, I mean, it depends. You know, you, you shouldn't ignore when you find CDCs, but you also you shouldn't stress about it so uh it is um depending on the patient as well um so so even if you tell the same story to um to two different patients and one is very high strung and stressed out and the other one is very relaxed you will get a different response um so in the context of you know the patient um and the environment and and family history and things like that i mean that that's then the clinician's skill as well to um to to help the patient to you know um get get on with um uh, you know, move on from from from, from sure. the test results and i mean usually the the test is not just done you know because we can um so usually patients who are referred to the test they either have had chronic illness yeah. or um they have you know had a family history or they are advanced aged or something like that so in terms of screening tests that's the groups of people we recommend it to so it you know sometimes people do a health check and they um incorporate that as well and that's fine um so so just 
so usually we get you know how the it usually really really refers really nicely to the overall well-being of a patient and I mean in the last podcast we talked a lot about chronic illnesses and infections and things like that and and basically um I mean that's that's what we find in the blood you know I I said last time perhaps also I often see this test um as a photograph of the inside so so each indiv- each patient is an individually um you know it's an it's a different case and it has a different blood picture and it always fits you know with the symptoms or with the presentation of the patient yeah yeah that makes sense it um sounds like there's probably wouldn't be that many patients that would be blindsided if they're extremely healthy and came up with a high level of ctcs yeah that's that's we haven't seen that so um so usually um you find high counts in patients um who have some sort of chronic uh, uh, illness and um and their immune system being compromised and or um in patients with family history or they have some sort of um you know mild symptoms i mean when we talk about screening uh, and we'll go come across to the prostate uh, cancer screening test soon, but we have also looked at um, uh, ovarian cancer, for example, which is kind of often seen as a silent, um, you know, uh, disease because the symptoms are yeah. not that prominent. And so this particular test really helps uh, profoundly, you know, identifying potentially someone with, you know, a, a cancer which doesn't give you many symptoms, but um, if if you if, you know if in a, in the case of ovarian cancer, if we had people, um, you know, women with uh, just a bit of bloating, we found a lot of CDC, so we knew immediately that this person needed to have had it scanned. And if it was, you know, kind of positive, then you can do something about it. And you basically, uh, with that early screening test, you know, prevented any further dramas um, and and potential, you know, um, uh, mortality. Sure. All right. So let's dive into it now. As a uh, thanks for the the description. It's uh, really critical, I think, to to understand what it, what it is and what it isn't, what it can do and what it means. Uh, there's three broad buckets of where CTCs potentially show benefit, that's in for screening for early detection of cancers, uh, monitoring treatment e- efficacy, and then also looking at like um, cancer progression later on. So um, you've done a bit of work almost in all three areas. We'll start with the, the detection. Um, so what's the, the general body of n- uh, knowledge and research on it as a detecting tool? And then um, let's have a look at what you've done in that area. Yeah, so the screening uh, for cancer. Yeah, um, in a sense, uh, we we probably have been the first uh, in in you know in the country at least uh, to to use the CDC ICED CDC test um, uh, for for screening. Um, so there's other groups in in other countries who have been able to use ICED CDC for screening as well successfully. So basically, if you detect CDCs early and um, you don't do anything and you follow up patients um, over a period of time, you would find um, cancer 
uh, in you know later on. Um, but our approach is if we find CDCs because we know that they can develop into cancer, we give them uh, advice on treatments, integrative uh, therapies which are immune supporting, um, and and look at reducing the CDC count and therefore preventing any potential development for cancer. Um, and just recently, we've had a paper published um, on uh, the, the new prostate screening test, prostate cancer screening test, because um, the current uh, standard blood test, the PSA blood test, is really not a good screening test because it has a very high false negative rate and a very high false positive rate. So basically 85.5% with the PSA blood test are not detected. They have prostate cancer, but um, the, the PSA blood test is uh, negative. Wow, and terrific. That's, that, that's enormous. And um, the other on the other side, 75% of um, PSA blood tests show a false positive. So often people then have, you know, further invasive testing like biopsies, which can, you know, run into complications as well and are not very comfortable. Mm. And uh, 75% and with the PSA blood test, um, you know, lead people to, to potentially undertake biopsies. And it turns out that um, they actually had prostatitis um, and not necessarily cancer. So with what we've done is we've looked at the um, CDC test um, by itself because that has a very high accuracy rate in terms of if you detect CDCs, then there is a very high likelihood of, of finding it on a diagnostic um, scan. And we, we added the PSA marker test to it so basically, we're using antibodies, uh, which then bind to the CDCs if they have PSA uh, antigens. And so we can say, well, those CDCs are actually from the prostate because PSA marker is a, is a very specific marker for prostate. So there's a couple of other organs like um, the urinary tract um, uh, and, and, and urotha which uh, potentially can have, you know, PSA markers, but they are not as abundant as, you know, the, uh, in the prostate. So it, it gives you a very specific and very high, uh, with a very high sense sensitivity, um, uh, you know, combination of tests. And what we found is in in the what in the paper we've recently published um, that we have a very high positive predictive value, and of ninety nine percent, and a high negative predictive value of ninety seven percent. So which compares, you know, uh, and. If you compare that to the PSA blood marker test, I mean, there are worlds in between. So um, basically, if you do the combination of CDCs plus PSA marker, you can basically uh, almost, you know, always uh, accurately 
um, distinguish between um, cancer, prostate cancer, and no cancer. Okay, so, so just to recap, so you looked at both the, at the broad CTCs without any markers for your, your, as your normal test, and then you then challenged those CTCs with the PSA to see which ones suspect come from the prostate. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? So you, you provide both numbers, provided both numbers in that report, like overall CTCs and PSA specific CTCs. That's correct. That's correct. And, and then, uh, mm-hmm. and then um, basically 99 times out of 100, it'll, it's picking up a true PSA. And, well, sorry, 97 times out of 100, it's taking it, picking up a true prostate cancer, and 97% of the time, it's not detecting. A false negatives, i.e., that um, that's not a can that's not prostate cancer, but we're actually counting it as cancer. Yes, that's correct. So, so basically, um, I mean, a CDC, uh, we have a very, very high um, knowledge that these are indeed, you know, cancerous cells. With the PSA marker, three um, percent of men, Caucasian men, don't have PSA markers. That's where the ninety-seven ah. comes from. So, uh, so it is possible that if we have a CDC but no PSA markers, that it may still be from the prostate, but only for right. three percent of of men. And um, uh, what 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 I wanted to add as well, how we came about those numbers, what we did in these in the study, we looked at patients with um, diagnosed prostate cancer. And basically, all of the um, men with prostate cancer, we found CDCs which were positive for PSA marker. And then we looked at um, 27 uh, patients. We screened for prostate cancer. And then afterwards, so after we've done our test, they went on to have uh, a PSMA PET scan, which is a specific prostate um, scan and or biopsy. And in in all of the um, patients which had positive PSA marker CTCs, we found early prostate cancer in all of them. And uh, then in those which have didn't have um, PSA markers or a mix of PSA markers and not, we found other types of cancer. Wow. Yeah. So... Super- but these yeah. males are at risk. So just yeah, to clarify, you, the first study you sort of validate your test by using it on confirmed cases. Then you um, perform the test on people, men that hadn't had any other valid, validated prostate screening. You've picked up a large number of positive cases and then they were later confirmed. But in addition, there were some men that had other cancers as well. That's right. Wow. So, yes, so so it was really um, quite overwhelmingly accurate, the prediction we could, you know, if we get CDCs and they're positive with a PSA marker, in all cases we found um, early prostate cancer with the very sensitive PSMA PET scan plus minus biopsy. So not all of the uh, men were willing to do a biopsy, so that's why... Not all of them have necessarily done it, but the PSMA PET scan is a, a highly accurate uh, scan, which um, actually sometimes helps the guidance for biopsy. You know, so 
um, to because when you do a biopsy, I mean, you might be in the wrong area to, yeah. to get tumor cells, and the the PSMA uh, PET marker uh, is is now used often to to actually guide biopsies. So, in a sense, and that's what we describe in the paper quite um, in quite detail. The PSMA PET scan is a very good proxy for biopsies. So while biopsies are gold standard to diagnose prostate cancer, the PSMA PET scan is is really very close to being gold standard. And um, so all of the men with positive PSA marker CDCs, uh, we found early prostate cancer. Right. That's yeah, incredible. Uh, well done. That's, yeah, sounds like a breakthrough. Yes, uh, definitely. It's not going to be smooth sailing to get it <laughs> mainstream, but yes. So, so we really would like to, um, because the paper has only come out in the last month, and uh, what we really would like to do, because this paper was basically a um, proven principle, you know that the technique is working, and obviously it's much better than the PSA blood test. Um, so what we'd like to do next is a population-based study. So we're actually looking at, you know, patients, uh, men in a particular age range, and we look for CDCs. And if we find CDCs, we also test them for PSA markers and then look at the percentage of, um, you know, uh, positives and negatives and, uh, you know, advice on, um, you know, follow-up scanning. And... Um, so, so th- this this would be the next the the next step to basically get early detection, you know, happening because early detection is paramount for any type of cancer. I mean, with prostate cancer, we know that it is often a uh, you know a cancer people can live with for a long period of time, but still, you know, it will compromise your quality of life and it will compromise. Yeah potential lifespan i mean even though a lot of people survive so it is better if you know early about it and you can do something about it so you can reduce your risk of it developing into something nasty which can metastasize and 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 potentially really um you know be of great morbidity and mortality absolutely So, so if you know that you've got this risk um you don't have to jump to surgery but uh, you can try and keep it, you know, in check with, you know, the right diet and the right lifestyle changes. So, so you can basically uh, live with your cancer. I mean, that, that's also something that we often talk about when people ask, oh, what does this test mean? And, uh, and, and, and what, what can I do with it? So usually it is when you're diagnosed with cancer, uh, it is probably too positively thinking if you said well i can get rid of it and i'm in remission and it will never come back um usually a better approach to look at it is um uh, you you learn to live with it, live with it live with it and uh and and basically uh maintain the um you know the the, the goods status and the immune system and so on. So you have to basically, um, yeah, embrace yep. it, I sure. think, rather than, you know. Be fearful. Yeah, thinking, oh, yeah, I can I can have surgery and it will be a way. I mean, it's, it's 
usually people that i mean it's it's rare that someone who has had cancer had surgery and it it, it doesn't come back at some point in yeah time. yeah and i suppose also which is probably more of a minor point the, the flip side um that you're not going to pick up those false false negatives and put men under potentially undue stress and worry and concern and invasion um with biopsies etc yeah the false positives yes yeah, with the PS, just using yeah the standard psa yes so with what we have seen also and described in the paper if someone has prostatitis we will see an abundance of immune cells floating about but not um any cdc's and uh the psa can rise in the bloodstream if you have prostatitis so with the cdc test we can distinguish between an inflammatory condition and cancer wow that's very helpful all right so uh, yeah move on to the the second of the three points which is and you've done some work here as well essentially it's using it to monitor the treatment um effectiveness so my brief understanding of it you can use ctcs to like essentially gauge how well the therapy, whether it's, you know, conventional chemotherapy, um, but also I believe you've done some work monitoring patients with like nutritional therapies with more low-grade cancers and mm -hmm. showing that uh, both the CTCs is a, a useful tool, but also that obviously the therapy is effective as well. So how do CTCs work for that monitoring treatment and what were the results you got from your nutritional study? Yes, so, so it is... Um, quite important, you know, if you are detect detected with cancer and you have some sort of treatment, doesn't matter which one, to actually um, look at you know, how well it worked and also how well it's maintained. So usually if it's a major treatment, whether it's surgery or it is, you know, some type of chemotherapy or some, uh, you know, hypothermia or anything like that, which is, you know, packaged in a particular time frame we recommend to do another CDC test about a month after that. So you don't get get um, a false count in a sense, you know, during treatment. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it will, what you want to know is how can this, you know, how well maintained is that? So usually we say um, to do that four months, uh, four weeks after the, the treatment um, is finished. Um, it also, what we can also see with the cytolo cytology-based CDC test, we can see degeneration of cells. And often, you know, when you do a treatment and you look at the CDCs, um, you know, immediately or during the treatment, you can find a lot of degeneration of cells. And so they need to be um, eliminated from the bloodstream. So that's why we also like to look at um, uh, you know, treatment effectiveness about, you know, a month later. So to, to help, you know, eliminate any of those uh, degenerated cells. Um, and uh, if you have, you know, had success with the treatment and uh, you want to do, um, you know, to, to just be on the, you know, on the alert, you know, on, on a long-term basis, it depends a little bit how many CTCs we found, how often we recommend you to do the um, monitoring. So say if we have something between, you know, zero and one, then a yearly CDC test is, is um, sufficient. 
if um, it is, you know, a bit higher number than maybe nine monthly, uh, if it's uh, in the moderate range, then rather six monthly. And um, if it's uh, in a high range, you usually try and look at the treatment effectiveness a bit earlier. So um, because as, as we were discussing beforehand, I mean, once you've had a cancer, um, it's rare that there is no re remnants of this left anywhere. Yeah. So whether you talk about stem cells or uh, CDCs, it, do it doesn't matter. I mean, usually there is some memory um, in the body of that cancer and what what you don't want to what you don't want to happen is that you miss kind of when this remnant is waking up again and is becoming active again so therefore it's always quite a good idea to um you do regular monitoring and we have patients you know in in the study who you know have this CDC tests on a yearly basis, and they have been year in year, every year. You know, they had a very very low count. So, but then that gives them peace of mind that whatever they're doing um, is is they're doing the right thing. There, you know, there is no um, you know disturbances in in that regard. And um, and then potentially, if you if you got a zero count, you know, for several years, say let's say five. I mean, then perhaps, you know, you don't have to do it yearly. Maybe you do it every two years or every three years or something like that. Okay. And that the recommendation doesn't necessarily change whether it's just that general screen you've done or what if the person has a, you know, quote-unquote diagnosed cancer from conventional methods and they're undergoing yeah, I, Yeah, treatment. I mean, with the general screening, um, if you do find... CDCs. Um, I mean, what we definitely want to see is a drop in those. And I mean, we we have cases, you know, we had a high count uh, and potentially a follow-up with images and nothing was found and, you know, things have changed and they changed their lifestyle and they've done some treatment. And then the next count is zero, a very low count. Then in a sense, you know, it, it's okay to um, to say okay um I, I should be uh, should be fine for the moment but it depends a little bit you know where it came from and what you know what triggered it in the first place so if there is some stresses uh, in the environment it can potentially you know reawaken that and so the I'm not sure I'm I'm a bit reluctant to say oh you don't have to be screened again um, maybe the you know the how often you do it is a bit dependent on the circumstances you know on age on family history on environment on stresses and um and perhaps every two years is then is then um sufficient but um uh it's i think i don't think it's a bad idea i mean what what they do with um you know any types of screening you know to do that on a regular in a regular intervals yeah sure so free of all right and the, the final area which is i think has a bit of overlap with the, the previous area is this um cancer progression so the way i've seen it is say they've done the ctc count on say a colorectal cancer patient they've removed the tumor and then um 
once everything's settled down, they, they do the follow-up. And those who um, demonstrate elevated CTCs after follow-up are much more likely to um, have a reoccurrence of the cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, is that true? And do you want, can you comment or <laughs> expand on that? that yeah, um, I notion? mean, when we do report, I mean, if somebody has had cancer and um, we do find CTCs, we report it as a, a probability so mild, moderate probability of recurrence or progression. And yeah. um, if somebody is screening, we say mild, moderate or high probability of detection. So so the wording is a bit different, um, but it, it, it does mean, mean the same so that it is potential that you find uh, something. And um, I think in this case, you know, for recurrence and so it always depends really um, also whether we find single CD cells or clusters because if you find CDC clusters, then you have this metastasizing potential attached to it. And, I mean, some types of cancers, they, um, you know, have more metastasizing potential and in certain organs and so on. So, so it gives a little bit of a, of a uh, you know, a gauge as well, uh, you know, how localized the, um, the, the tumor actually might, might stay, you know, so. Yeah. Brilliant. All right. Um, you'll wrap it up in a, a moment. Just generally, um, curious, moving on to treatment now, sounds like, well, actually, I just want to touch upon one thing. To me, that's really illustrates it we need to continue or start to look at cancer as a systemic disease like even if it's a you know a breast cancer a colorectal cancer sure they might you know unfortunately have removed all the cells during the surgery but that whole idea of the terrain or the, the microenvironment really resonates with me that it's not just that tumor but the whole body needs that continued care otherwise it's yeah likely to to come back does that you know resonate with you yeah exactly um so I mean, what I said before, you know, if somebody um, has a successful um, treatment or surgery and uh, mainstream might say, are you in remission? It's a little bit of a false security because um, if there has been something there beforehand, it's unlikely that you have removed it completely because, there is, you know, the 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 chemical environment. Um, I mean, the circulating tumor cells, which are not necessarily looked at in in, in mainstream at the moment, and um, so it's it's more. I think once you have been diagnosed, it's really important to kind of find a way to keep it in check and keep keep an eye on it and to to be aware that um, you, you can't do your old things, you know, which might have triggered it and that there are certain, you know, environmental factors which might give it, uh, give your immune system more of a help and others don't. So it's really important to holistically, um, you know, live a better, healthier life, Um to to be able to to keep it in check so yeah it's yeah it's 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 i don't know uh it's probably too uh optimistic to say um 
unless you know it, it is, it's a very localized non you know metastasizing potential type of cancer which which exists you know i mean there, there's different variants you know in in the hospitals that will tell you well this is a very aggressive type and this is a very you know mild type or they even call some tumors benign you know yeah um, so i mean obviously that also plays a role uh you know how likely it is that it will come back if you you know were able to remove it um but yeah it's yeah. if it has formed once uh it's you know it's more likely that it can form again yeah of course all right um this is a, a sort of a broader maybe even sort of a philosophical discussion to end off um more about the the treatment approach you and nim take regarding this these findings um so my understanding and it could be wrong it's you're not treating it like sort of green oncology let's you know use a a natural alternative that kills cancer cells and induces apoptosis and stops cell replication the protocols and suggestions are more about that sort of whole body um you know philosophy about almost like boost the immune system or modulate the immune system um get glucose and insulin under control all the things that can feed into a potential proliferative disorder um so yeah could you just broadly outline the sort of approach from a this is not from a a patient that Nim might see that's undergoing chemotherapy, but from like a, a sort of a preventative, um, maybe a slight red flag, they've got CTCs. What's the general advice from a therapeutics point of view? Yeah. So, I mean, in a sense, it's, it's, we, we're really doing integrative therapy. So, um, so if somebody has, you know, a tumor which would respond really well to radio, particular radiotherapy, or, you know, there's a certain, uh, you know treatments which could help with that uh you know there's there's a high it wouldn't be we wouldn't say oh no you you can't have that so usually we try to combine you know the the treatments which are proven to be useful so what i forgot beforehand to mention is um you know how important vitamin d is i mean for all um sorts of you know uh, diseases and including cancer so i mean the advice would always be um to to help your immune system with the right vitamins and and minerals you know you you need for all sorts of um you know met metabolistic uh, activities and uh, and then there are certain uh, integrative um uh, dietary supplements which can help enormously to um, help the immune system as well as have anti-carcinogenic properties like, uh, you know, vitamin C and uh, green tea, kaolic garlic, curcumin, uh, mushroom extracts, and 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 these kind of things. So that they are they have known potential for anti-carcinogenic activities, and and so if somebody has not you know that high of a count it is always a good idea to to start with that um if if it is a higher count and uh, surgery might be um helping with removing the source then uh that is something which can be supported you know with integrated therapies as well so because with surgery that's also quite a traumatic event for mm. the body so you can prepare the body 
with an adequate nutrition um, and uh, vitamin C and vitamin B12, for example, play a, an enormous role um, to to help you know recover recovering from surgery in a in a better way, and and so that that's what you know we would um, uh, what, what what Nim would do uh, to to support people you know from all aspects. I mean, mental the mental health aspect in the mind is is as important. So. So trying to be very holistic using the evidence which is out there for, you know, proven treatments and, um, you know, supportive treatments. And uh, what what I think is also quite important is, you know, to see whether there are any uh, triggers, you know, like, for example, infections or um, environmental factors which might, you know, lead into having the CDCs and the, the tumor in the first place. So if you can identify that, um, then obviously you, you need to work at that outside the body as well. So in your environment, you know, trying to remove certain sources or do certain things so, so you don't have that um, exposure. Yeah, beautiful. All right, uh, well, I Yes, well, I'll wrap it up there saying uh, we've used plenty of your time uh, and I'm really looking forward to you going to be presenting this. Unfortunately, it's in 13 months now that we had you locked in for Congress 2020. Um, Hopefully the the world returns back to some sort of um, ability for international presenters to travel and even domestic for that that matter. But so you're back. I'm very much looking forward to that. (laughs) Um, And I might just shout out, to the listeners so we did sell out of congress before all this occurred um and the tickets are are on sale again we're offering it back to firstly those who purchased the tickets in the first place they've had their tickets refunded but they're getting the first opportunity to to reclaim the tickets and then after a month then we'll open up to the rest of the people so um if you did get a ticket previously i'd encourage you to book in again and um if you didn't you have to wait a little bit longer and get your opportunity but yeah um when i when we announced that you were coming along, people were very excited. So I'm sure they'll continue to be excited and I look forward to catching up then. Uh, so thanks for your time. Thank yeah, you. it's, um, I was excited after the pathogen test and now I'm not sure which one I'm more excited about in, <laughs> from a, from a yeah. technical perspective. They're so, both such valuable tools and I yeah. think real game changes. I mean, the beauty is um, that they're both going hand in hand. So yeah. I mean, they both start with a blood test and microscopy and whatever we find, then we will concentrate on. So if there is more of pathogens than CDCs, then obviously, you know, you go a different direction. But if there are a lot of CDCs and only a few pathogens, then it is better to go down the direction of, well, could that be of, of importance? So, so in a sense, you know, they're both related. And um, as we said in the last podcast, you know, sometimes cancers, you know, so to speak, so, so, um, you know, melanoma, for example, can a a melanoma type, a lesion on the skin can actually be an infection. And with this test, you can actually distinguish whether it is cancer or it is something else. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and maybe just importantly, I think you had people reaching out from all over the world last time after the pathogen test in the UK, et cetera. Um, yeah, how far? So can you just quickly describe 
who can get the tests? Um, you know, mm. is it domestic, international? What's the, the boundaries here? Yeah, so, I mean, it was fabulous to, to hear from all over the world and people being interested in the, in the pathogen test. Um, so at the moment, uh, the, we can only offer the testing within Australia because we have to transport the blood um, within, you know, a reasonably short time frame. And that's not possible um, to do all over the world. So to be able to do the microscopy, because um, blood really coagulates quite quickly and we use a um, spe special tube, you know, with the um, ACD, the, um, you know, the sugar solution, uh, which keeps um, the cells quite nice and crisp for a maximum of two days. And we can do a quality microscopic analysis. But unfortunately, if you send bloods from uh, overseas, uh, it usually takes longer than 48 yeah. hours, especially yeah. with okay. the Australian custom. <laughs> and so unfortunately, if we can't do the filtration of the fresh blood in the country, we won't be able to do the microscopy. So... Um, so that's a bit of a restriction, but within Australia, um, we have had uh, tests done from, you know, all states. So whether it's Western Australia, Northern Territory, Queensland, New South Wales, uh, South Australia, we're yep. in Victoria. So that, that works really well. And um, so we've got a system running. You can, you can ask for a kit uh, to, to be sent to you. And um, then it's just uh, the normal test costs plus the shipping. Brilliant. Okay. Thank you. It's very useful. All right. Well, thanks again for your time. It's Yeah, I've learned so much. Um, I was a little bit nervous going in unprepared, um, worried that I wouldn't have enough to talk about. But, we've, <laughs> um, yeah, certainly you got plenty to talk about and only scratched the surface. So I'm looking forward to hearing more when I see you at Congress. Thanks again for your time, Karen. Yes, thank you as well. Thank you for listening to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast. Find us on iTunes and leave a review. Join our practitioner-only Metagenics Facebook group to be informed of new podcast releases, keep up to date with key industry updates, and more. Visit metagenics.com.au to find useful links and resources relating to this podcast and sign up for our e-newsletter.